Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise.
The topic today is blood and fire and hail, a burning mountain cast into the sea, a falling star, horses from hell, evil spirits from the bottomless pit and the ushering in of the kingdom of God. The topic is the seven trumpets from the book of Revelation. I want to say to the church today, my beloved church members, hear the word of God as it comes to us today in the seven trumpets. I want you please to take your Bible now and I want you to come over here to Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1 to start with. Revelation, the 8th chapter that ushers in the seven trumpets. Now every person today would be advised to have a Bible, please. You don't have to, but you'd be advised to have a Bible. You'll be greatly blessed if you will. As you're looking up this verse, let me say this to you. Everybody listening? Everybody listening? My friend, it is safer to play with forked lightning. Did you hear what I said? It is safer to play with forked lightning than to play with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know it is dangerous to hear the gospel preached? It is dangerous to sit in church and to hear the gospel preached as this chapter is going to tell you today because there is a fearful responsibility upon the person who hears the gospel. Today we're going to talk about the plagues of God against those who mistreat the representatives of the gospel and who despise the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is dangerous to hear the gospel. It is dangerous to go to church and to listen to the preaching of the word. But it is more dangerous not to hear the gospel, more dangerous not to go to church, because if I do not hear the gospel and obey the gospel, then I'm outside the covenant. And so I say to you today, it is, it is safer, it is easier to play with forked lightning than it is to play with the gospel. Revelation 8 verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. We're going to notice here in Revelation chapter 8, Steve, in these opening verses, it is a plain, clear allusion to the great day of atonement. And we ought to notice this. Please notice it in the Bible. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. The time when much incense was offered in the Jewish tabernacle was the time of Yom Kippur. And in this context here, the day of atonement, when much incense is offered, is the day of judgment, when the fate of the world comes up in review before God. And the Bible tells us that there is silence in heaven for half an hour. What does it mean? It is not because heaven is emptied as people come down here to this earth. This is an allusion to the day of atonement, when on the day of atonement, the high priest went into the most holy place and outside the tabernacle the children of God were on their knees in prayer praying that God might deliver their souls because it is the day of judgment. 
And so the Bible says that before these seven visitations come upon the earth, the Bible says that there is the silence of the day of atonement in heaven. I want you to read on a little further here, and I want you to notice verses uh, 2 to 5 again. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. We'll talk about that in a moment. The prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of all the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. What is this talking about? This is talking about the consummation. This is God saying it is no longer going to be business as ordinary. And something tremendous is about to happen to the earth. And the judgments of God are about to come upon the earth. Because God is not a Santa Claus. I want every person to know this today. The God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, and the God of the New Testament is not just a Santa Claus. The God, my friend, of the Bible is a God of righteousness and a God of fire as well as a God of love. I want you to know today this and I want every person to understand it. God is not a mamby-pamby. God is not a wimp. Many people worship a God who is almost a weak person. And we perhaps get it from the little verse, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child. Jesus was gentle and Jesus was meek, but he was the God who walked into the temple and overthrew the money uh, tables of the money changers. And the God of the New Testament is the same God as the Old Testament. And the Bible says, the angel takes the censer and he flings it to the earth. You know what this is a, a picture of? This is a picture of the closing scenes in the Day of Atonement when God says there is no more intercession for Israel. This is it. It is no longer business as, as normal. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. You and I can be saved today. But the day is coming when God is going to take the censer that represents intercession and he's going to throw it to the earth. And probation is going to close for the inhabitants of planet earth. So just remember this. It's not always going to be business as usual. Notice verse 3. Come back a little bit. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. This is a marvelous and a wonderful passage. Because the Bible tells me, as the saints of God are praying, their prayers are going up with the censer. And what does the censer represent? It represents the fragrance of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It represents his life in the place of my sinful, guilty life. It represents his righteousness in the place of my unrighteousness. 
And as the prayers of the saints go up before the throne of God, they don't go up by themselves, they go up accompanied by the power of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that Alan White made a statement, and this is a statement that should forever get rid of the idea of sinless perfectionism. She says that the prayers of true believers, Steve, ascend before God, not by themselves, because unless they are accompanied by the incense of the righteousness of Christ, they are so defiled by sin that unless they are accompanied by the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are of no effect with God. And this is talking about the prayers of true believers. You and I don't even know how to pray, my friend. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered because none of us are good enough even to know how to pray to God. And the Bible says as the saints are praying there that the prayers go up with the incense. Thank God for the righteousness of Jesus, I say. Don't you say amen to that? And the Bible tells me, my friend, something else. That as the prayers of the saints go up on the Day of Atonement, those prayers are so mighty and they're so strong that they move the arm of omnipotence. I want you to notice that today. Do you know why the seven trumpets sound, Steve? They sound because of the prayers of God's people. And God's people are praying earnestly. And when the people of God are praying earnestly, God sends forth the seven trumpets. Never put down the prayers of some little old lady or some little old man because they've got no money. And because they've got no influence with men, they've got influence with God. And the prayers go up before God. Now is the time for the Almighty to move in judgment. Let me give you, I want you to concentrate now, this is not a light sermon. I want to say that this is solid Bible study here in this church. Let me give you an introduction to the seven trumpets. Prior to the writing of the book of Revelation, the prophets spoke about great judgments that would come upon the world and also upon the church. The Lord Jesus Christ was the greatest of the prophets. He gave many prophecies. Daniel and the other prophets like the Apostle Paul spoke about great judgments. They spoke about, for instance, the fall of Jerusalem, the fall of Rome, the apostasy in the Christian church, the coming of the doctrines of demons, not into paganism, but into the Christian church. And they spoke about the coming of demons themselves into the church. And that's what the seven trumpets are all about. Let me tell you again. The writings of Jesus and the writings of the New Testament prophets as well as Old Testament prophets talk about these things. The fall of Jerusalem, the fall of Rome, the modern Babylon, the great apostasy in the church, the coming of the doctrines of demons and the coming of the demons themselves. And we will see today that the seven trumpets talk about, number one, the destruction of Jerusalem, the capital of the people of God. Number two, the overthrow of the great city of Rome and then the coming of apostasy and demons into the church. Does it sound interesting? It is. Please come now to Revelation chapter 8. Notice it please 
in the Word of God. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You and I are saved by following the words, not of a church, but the words of the Bible. Amen. Revelation 8, verse 6 and 7. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets, and the seven trumpets represent a great warning, a call to war. And the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound because of the prayers of the people of God. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Uh, commentators with that number have applied this verse to the coming of judgment upon the people of God. Did you know this? It's very hard, let me say this, it's very hard to talk about the seven trumpets in one meeting. Commentators have spent cumulatively thousands of years talking about the seven trumpets. I believe we now understand what they mean, possibly for the first time in history. But commentators have come to an opinion that this awful plague that comes upon the earth is the judgment of God upon the children of Israel because of their crucifixion of the Messiah and their rejection of the gospel. Because in scripture, judgment always comes first where? Where does judgment come first and foremost? Always in scripture, Helen, where does it come? To the house of God. First Peter says, Judgment is going to begin at the house of God. We like to think it's going to start with the, with the pagans out there in the world on Hollywood Boulevard. Judgment will start at the church. Always does. And then this great prophecy, which is based somewhat on Ezekiel chapter 9 that we spoke about last week. Don't look it up. But Ezekiel chapter 9 talks about the judgments that came upon the children of God and it started firstly with the priests and the elders and the teachers of the people. And so judgment first and foremost always starts with the house of God. In scripture, listen, let me tell you some facts quickly. Israel specifically in scripture is called the land. That's how the Jews looked upon themselves. They called themselves the land. And the Bible says, upon the land, the land of the people of God, comes blood and fire and hail and a terrible destruction. Now don't bother looking this up because I'm going to go through so many passages. In Luke 23, 28 to 31, Jesus spoke about the disaster that would come upon Jerusalem and he described it as on dry trees. Jesus said, there's going to come a terrible disaster upon these people. And he said, they're going to be like the dry trees. I want you to come to another passage, passage though. I do want you to keep your finger there and come over here to Deuteronomy 32, 22. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 22. Deuteronomy 32. And I want you to come to the prophet uh, Moses as he talks about what would happen to the land of Israel if they failed to accept the Messiah and if they failed to follow the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad to see you folks looking up the text. It does me good because I know you're getting blessed. You're going to be blessed as you read the word. 
And the prophet says here, For a fire is kindled in my anger, and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. And this was a prophecy that was fulfilled in 70 AD, when the Romans, wicked pagan people, but nevertheless the tool in the hand of Almighty God, came against the city of Jerusalem. And in 70 AD, because the children of God, because of their tradition, because of their man-made rules, because they rejected Jesus and the everlasting gospel, and they rejected the preachers of the gospel, the Bible tells me that city was razed to the ground and destroyed. And that, my friend, is the first of the trumpets, the destruction of the Jewish nation in 70 AD, the first judgment against the people of God. Let me tell you this. The judgments of God are in direct proportion to the privileges that the people have enjoyed. Did you get this? To whom much is given, much is expected, my friend. And God gave to those people the light of the world, Jesus. He gave them the Bible. And because of their traditions, they turned their backs on Jesus and they crucified him. And judgment came to them in the first of the seven trumpets. Come back now to Revelation 8, verses 8 and 9. Look, I can hardly wait to get into the strong material. I'm so excited about this, I tell you. Revelation chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. You know, I, I'm told that there are preachers who can't get excited in the pulpit. You know what they ought to do? Let somebody else in the pulpit who can. Mm, don't you think? Yeah. If you can't get excited in the pulpit, there's something wrong with you. You must have low blood sugar or no adrenaline or something. Revelation 8, verses 8 and 9. Then the second angel sounded in something like a great mountain. Notice those words, a great mountain. Burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. You see, this is not total disaster. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships, uh, the Bible tells us, a third of the, the ships were destroyed. The second great judgment according to Bible prophecy, the one that came against after the destruction of Jerusalem, was the destruction of the Roman Empire. In the Word of God, in the Old Testament, a mountain is used by the prophets to represent a great empire or a great nation. And in the Old Testament, Babylon was called the mighty mountain. And in the New Testament, there is a modern Babylon. And that Babylon was the great empire and the city of Rome. And Rome had an opportunity to hear the gospel. God sent the Apostle Paul. He sent the Apostle Peter. He raised up men to preach the gospel. And the Roman Empire rejected the gospel. And judgment came upon the Roman Empire. And something like a great mountain, the Roman Empire was taken and hurled into the sea. I say to you today, it is safer to play with forked lightning than to play with the preaching of the gospel like some of you have been doing all your lives. Some of you here in this church, you've gone to this church and other churches for years, you know the truth, for instance, about baptism, you, you go on in your own stubborn way and you refuse to obey the word of God. I want to tell you, 
do not tamper with the preaching of the Word of God. Amen. Don't tamper with it. Rome had an opportunity and Rome spurned the preachers of the gospel and something like a great mountain was picked up and cast into the sea. Now come to Revelation 8 because the next disaster is upon the church as you would expect it to be. Come to Revelation chapter 8 verses 10 and 11. I meet people all the time with this lackadaisical attitude and they say to me, Pastor Carter, whether we obey God or not, it doesn't really matter. We can come when we like and we can repent when we like. Don't be deceived, it isn't true. Every person sitting here today is in a dangerous situation. It is dangerous to hear the word of God. More dangerous not to hear it. More dangerous not to hear it. Notice the third of the trumpets. Somebody came in today and says, boy, this is not what we get in our church. I'm glad. Verse 10 and 11. And the third angel sounded, this was after the overthrow of Rome, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. This talks now about not political powers, but what sort of powers? Spiritual powers. A great star falls from heaven, and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. This great judgment is upon the spiritual powers. Listen to this. Rivers and fountains are emblems of life and beneficence. Did you get this? In the word of God, rivers and fountains are emblems of blessing, uh, life, beneficence. And the, the very purpose that God raised up the church was so it could bring to the world the water of life. That's the purpose of the church, my friend. That the church will be a flowing stream of water to the world. I want to read you a statement out of the prophet. Okay? A modern day prophet. God made Joseph a fountain of life to the Egyptian nation. Every worker in whose heart Christ abides is a worker together with God for the blessing of humanity as he receives from the Savior grace to impart to others from his whole being flows forth the tide of spiritual life. In that day, says the scriptures, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The heart that receives the word of God is not like a pool that evaporates, not like a broken cistern that loses a treasure, Steve. It is like the mountain streams fed by unfailing springs whose cool sparkling waters leak from rock to rock, refreshing the weary, the thirsty, and the heavy laden. It is like a river constantly flowing, and as it advances, becoming deeper and wider until its life-giving waters are spread over all the earth. The stream that goes singing on its way, leaving behind its gifts of verdure and fruitfulness. The world needs evidence of sincere Christianity. The poison of sin is at work at the heart of society. Now, my friend, listen very carefully. When it talks about the rivers and the fountains, it is not talking literally. It is talking about the spiritual rivers. It's talking about the spiritual fountains. And the Bible says 
a great spiritual force fell and the waters became bitter. And the people who drank of those waters didn't get the water of life. They became bitter in their souls. Has that happened to you? If you're listening to a person who is preaching bitterness and just a lot of man's philosophies, you're going to lose something. You're going to become a bitter person. What happened to the church? You know the prophecies we spoke about the week before last. After the apostles had been laid to rest in their graves, paganism came into the church. No longer were the teachings of Jesus taught, but the teachings of men. And the waters became polluted. And the church that proclaimed itself to be the light of the world was giving people wormwood. And this is talking about the judgment of God upon the Christian church as it apostatized from the truth. Beware, beware, beware today. Revelation chapter 8 verses 12 and 13, it describes the continuing apostasy in the church. Revelation 8 verse 12, Then the third angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. Not literally, my friend, the spiritual lights. Just as the spiritual water became polluted in the church, so now the leaders of the church, the sun and the moon and the stars, those whom God appointed in the church to, to bring light to the world, all of a sudden, my friend, the light goes out and the people are groping in darkness. You know the history of the Dark Ages. You know the story of the, of the 1260 years. You know the story of the Inquisition. You know the story of the change of the commandments of God and the teaching of purgatory and all of these other teachings. Righteousness by works. Wormwood it is. Then the third, fourth angel sounded, and a third of the stars was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, not universal. And a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. This describes apostasy among the people of God. It describes spiritual lights who are going out. I want to ask you this. You listening to me? Is this too strong for you today? You folks listening to me? Come on, let me have a little feedback if I talk to you. Let me say this to you. Why do lights go out? Why does darkness come in the soul? Listen carefully to this. Jesus said, our Lord Jesus Christ said, Walk in the light while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. When a person discovers light, my friend, I don't care what it is, the light of the gospel, the light of the commandments, the light of the Sabbath, the light of baptism, the light of tithing, he needs to walk in the light. If he doesn't walk in the light, he's going to go into darkness. Did you hear that? You can't be the same again. And I'd like to think for the glory of God, once you've been to this church, you won't be the same again. Amen. Either you're going to be a lot better or else you're going to be a lot worse. You're going to be a lot better or else you're going to be a lot worse. You're going to be a lot sweeter and a lot more spiritual or else you're going to be a lot 
more cantankerous, and a lot more bitter, but you can't stay the same. Christianity is like a bicycle. Either you go on or else you go off. And there are many, many, many people, my friend, who are not walking in the light, and the Bible says darkness is going to overtake them. There is a law that nobody can change. It is a spiritual law that unless we walk in the light, we're going to walk in darkness. And you and I ought to ask ourselves the question, are we living up to the light that God has given us? And our church, this community, Adventist Fellowship, ought to ask the same question. And our denomination ought to ask the same question, or else God will turn out the light. And that happened. It happened in the days of the Dark Ages. That's why it's called the Dark Ages. That's why it was said by the great Professor Wiley, the great Anglican minister, the noonday of that system was the midnight of the world. And the people drank wormwood. Judgment came upon Jerusalem, judgment came upon Rome, and judgment came upon the Christian church because the church failed to walk in the light. Beware, my friend. Now we come to a passage which is the most graphic passage in the Bible. There's nothing quite like it. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. Revelation chapter 9 verses 1 to 12, the most colorful, the most descriptive chapter in the Bible. Let me give you a little spiritual test here today. Are you listening to me? I want you to find out right now whether you're saved or not. If as you're sitting in this church, the Spirit of God is bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God, and if the Word of God is somehow getting inside you and you're getting warm today, you're saved. But if that is not happening to you, I fear that you're not saved. The Bible says, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You can have the inner witness. You can know that you're saved. You can know that you're going to heaven. How can you know? Because the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I can tell you as I'm preaching here today, the Spirit of God is bearing witness to my spirit. The Spirit of God is playing upon the spirit that He's put within me. And the Spirit agrees with my spirit. And I agree with the Spirit of God. John Wesley said, this is the greatest test and the greatest evidence for Christianity. He never had it most of... His, his ministry in his early days, I ask you today, do you have the inner witness? Do you have the Spirit today witnessing within you? Or are you bored to tears? If you're bored to tears and if there's no witness in your heart, my friend, do not die today. Do not die today. Pray that you will live a little longer. Revelation chapter 9, the most graphic chapter, verses 1 to 12. And then the fifth angel sounded... And I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. That's Satan. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, the abusos. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. 
That's why I preached on the seal of God last week. You and I need the seal of God, my friend, upon our foreheads. The only safety for any person when the spirits come into the church, the evil spirits, is to have the seal of God. I'm going to talk to you about this in a moment. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. And the shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads were crowns of something like gold. And their faces were like the face of men, remember that. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek he is called Apollyon. One woe is past, behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Listen carefully. These are horses, horses from hell. Let me give you a revelation from the Word of God, which will be new to some of you. In the Scriptures, and you can look this up when you go home, in Zechariah chapter 1, don't do it now because I've got too much to go through. Zechariah chapter 1 and Zechariah chapter 6. Horses with their strength and their capacity to move. In the scriptures, horses are symbolic of the spirits of God sent forth by God into all the earth. That's a revelation, isn't it? Horses, and also in Revelation 19, that I, I will read to you today, but horses are symbolic of the spirits of God. When you read in Zechariah about the horses that go patrolling the earth, the Bible says these are the spirits of God, the angels of God. Now listen carefully to what I'm going to say. I believe in a supernatural world. I believe in a supernatural God. I believe in holy, righteous angels, and I believe in evil angels, and I believe in their existence, and I believe in their work. In contrast to the angels of God, these horses that are sent to patrol the earth and that are composed of demons... These awful creatures invade the church that has apostatized from Christ. This is not an invasion into Hollywood. This is an invasion, my friend, into the Christian church that has turned out the light and that has poisoned the people with the traditions of men. How powerful this is. It says they have faces like men, horses with faces like men, because they're angels. They have women's hair. Why does it say they have women's hair? Because a woman's hair, often in the scriptures, is used as something glorious and sometimes as something seductive. 
And so the faces of men with intelligence and women's hair, which is seductive, and the Bible says they're scorpions and they have a sting in their tail. Oh, they talk like men, they are plausible. They can talk and they can use all the right words. They are great at using the language of Christ and they are seductive, they are false apostles, and they have a sting in their tail. The Bible says that the church becomes invaded by the doctrines of demons. One commentator said, with these false teachers comes the spread of heresy until through moral corruption and spiritual pestilence and political greed, the entire globe, globe becomes a polluted carcass ready for the vultures. Listen to me. Revelation, listen carefully because this is new to 95% of you. I did not understand this two or three years ago. I understand it today. I understand now what it's talking about. And what I'm telling you is the truth. Revelation 9 describes a satanic work which will counterfeit the final work of the Holy Spirit that is described in Revelation 18, 1 to 4, 13, 3, Revelation 19, 20, 1 Timothy 4, 1, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 9, and Matthew 24 and verse 14. Now the Bible tells me, you folks listening, the Bible says that in the last days, God is going to do a mighty work. Don't you believe that? God is going to pour out His Holy Spirit. We are not waiting for the latter rain. We've seen it. We've seen it in Russia with thousands converted. We've seen the outpouring of the Spirit of God. We have people in this country, in Australia, Steve, who, who laugh when you talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That is because they are spiritually blind. They're spiritually dead. They cannot understand the mighty work of God because it's never happened to them because they're sons of perdition, even though they hold great church office. Now the Bible says in the last days, God is going to pour out His Spirit in a mighty way and the Spirit of God is going to come down. God is going to send His chariots around the world. Did you know that? The chariots of God are going to go around the world. But Satan is going to work to counterfeit it. And the church, my friend, is going to be invaded with the doctrines of demons. Faces like men's faces are smooth. Charmers. Religious con men. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? and they have the hair of women because they're seductive, but in their tails there is the, the sting of the scorpion. We are the most naive people in the world in America. We think everything that is religious is good. Most things that are religious are bad. You hear that? Most things that are religious are bad. And if you get the wrong religion, you'll become ten times worse. And you can get it, my friend, in every church. You can get it in every church. And so here we have the church invaded with the forces of error. Those who reject the truth become the subject, become subject to error and the prey of demons from hell. Now, Revelation 9, 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. 
Sorry if this is not a smart psychology sermon for some of you. This is only the Bible. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 13 and 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Listen carefully. This is so strong I can hardly tell you. What city was seated upon the river Euphrates? It was the old city of Babylon. That was a great religious, political amalgamation. And the book of Revelation talks about a modern Babylon. Modern Babylon, are you listening? I want to tell you folks this. If you can come to a church and hear God's word on the Sabbath, thank God, but do something about it. The Bible talks about a great system of modern Babylon. And, and God says to the angel here, he says, go and loose the bands at the river Euphrates because modern Babylon is seated upon spiritual waters, the river Euphrates. And God says, the time has come, let the hordes of hell go. Hasn't happened yet. It's about to happen. Verse 15, So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, now these are four angels of death, the demons, Satan's angels, but they're released by God. See, they can't touch you until God releases them. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year, that is talking not linear time but a point of time. These angels were prepared for a certain hour. And God says, he says to his mighty angel, now you go and release those angels that have been bound and let them go. And they have been bound for a certain moment in history. That time is coming. You wait to hear the rest of it. Release to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen, these evil angels, was 200 million. I heard the number of them. What is significant about that? I will tell you. In the days when the Bible was written, when the, this book was written, 200 million was about the population of the earth. Not to, this verse is not talking about the Arabs or the Russians or any of that hocus pocus. This is talking about the population of the earth. And my friend, the evil angels were at least as big as the population of the earth. If it was written today, we'd say, and the number of them was 5,000 million. And so from the very seat of the beast from modern Babylon comes forth the hordes of darkness upon the world. What a picture. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, the horses from hell. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, full of uh, power and ferocity. Out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. They got it, my friend, from hell itself. These are not angels that come to bless the people of God. 
These are not the angels of the Almighty. These are the angels that have been suppressed until the last day. And these are the angels that come up out of the bottomless pit. And they come for a work. Verse 18. By these three plagues a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths for their power is in their mouths. They're talking. They're smooth talking. They're preaching. They're preaching of heresy and they're preaching of lies. The power is in their mouth and in their tails for their tails are like serpents having heads and with them they do harm. Now let me give you a little commentary. Here you have a formidable army. And this army, thanks be to God, is matched by another army. Now keep your finger there and come to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Here is the second army. Revelation 19... Verse 11 to 16, here is the second army. There in the sixth trumpet you have the army of Satan, the horses from hell, the demons from the netherworld. But here you have an army from the throne of God. Verse 11, then I saw heaven opened. Behold, what does it say? A white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head, what does it say? Were many crowns, king of kings. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Listen, my friend. This describes the last great crisis in the world. You know what's going to happen? Is this scaring you? I want you to know it's going to happen. Our problem is, is that we have become used to smooth things and smooth uh, preachers are going to damn our souls. They are described right here in the Bible, the smooth preachers with hair like ladies' hair. Clever mouths, they sting you. Here is a great army that goes forth in the last days and it comes from old Babylon. It is the army from hell and it has one purpose to destroy the saints of God. That's the battle of Armageddon. And so here is a great force that comes out from hell and the purpose is the evil spirits to invade the church and then to invade the world and to destroy the people of God. Listen my friend. I want this saying to sink into your ears. I want it to sink down into the molecules of your mind and not forget it. 
the Bible teaches the active agency of evil spirits. And the Bible says that before Jesus comes, the world itself is going to become the habitation of evil spirits and those who do not follow the gospel of Jesus are going to become demon-possessed. The world is going to be filled with billions of evil angels who will work through unconsecrated church members who have not walked in the light and the demons will possess men and women everywhere who have not followed the gospel of Christ. It's going to happen. And the Bible says this. Listen carefully. I'm going to read you this statement. The last crisis in the world. Let me read it to you. Those who receive the false gospel become demon-possessed and make war against God's people, but they themselves are destroyed by the hordes from hell. That's what happens. Uh, how can I get through to you? I know that when I preach, it's very difficult preaching in this part of the world because many people have had their minds damaged by television, by pornography, by reading rubbishing books, and therefore their attention span is a 30-second commercial. How Satan has won a great victory. Then there are the preachers from hell who say to people, all you've got to do is, is believe. And then all you've got to do, brother, is send me an offering, and all you've got to do is then do what you like, and you'll be saved. So praise the Lord and put up your hands. That's the preacher from hell. The Bible teaches a doctrine of the blood of Jesus. The Bible teaches that we need to come and be washed in the blood, and we need to be born again Christians. Born again Christians, filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, there are some of you Adventists here who are scared to death about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, if you don't get filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to get filled with a demon. Did you know that? I know we go into some churches and they're so cold and they're so dead. And if you talk about... Just hold that, please. Thanks, Gigi. Bless you. You go into some churches... And people are so dead, and if you preach on the Holy Spirit, they say, oh, they're trying to get us Pentecostals. I say, God, make us filled with the Spirit of Pentecost. Amen. And I want to tell you, unless we get the Spirit of God, I don't care if you are a president in the church. I don't care who you are. If you're not filled with the Spirit of God, you're going to get filled with a devil. Amen. And in the last days... Those who reject the true gospel, those whose hearts are cold, those who are orthodox and nominal, and those who are churchy are going to be filled with demons as they go to hell talking about Jesus. As they go to hell talking about Jesus, their power is in their mouths and they have the seductive hair of women, and they have a sting. And the Bible says those who follow them are tormented. 